Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all here, those of us who are intending to be at the 940 and those who think they're at the 820, we're all here. We all changed our clocks, some of us. Let's stand, please, and join our hearts and our voices together as we sing our praises to God. I 
Father, we are in awe of you. Because of your greatness, your power, and because of your mercy and love. We've come today to acknowledge that you are the great king and that we want to offer our lives to you. We pray that you'll be glorified in our worship and we pray that you would work transformation in every part of our being. Let this hour together truly change us because you are present with us. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. We want to give you a moment to share some greeting with each other. And just take, we'll take a, few, a little bit longer time today to uh, maybe you want to see somebody across the room a little bit or somebody you don't know, introduce yourself. This internal clock, right, that says that's enough, we're done. Could have gone a little longer, but that's all right. Uh, it's, it's great to see you as uh, we worship together today. Just a couple of things uh, in the bulletin I want to highlight. Uh, Wednesday, all of our ministries are on regular schedule for children, youth, and adults. And Tuesday, um, the college will be showing the film Camp, and it's, uh, it comes out of uh, an experience with Royal Family Kids Camp that. We have supported for many years, so I just want to make you aware of that, and there's information about the film in the bulletin. And the next Sunday, worship began at 8, 29, 40, and 11, and we'll be thinking next week as we continue on through the passion story about uh, the temptation that we have and about hypocrisy in our worship. And so we'll be looking at, at that uh, part of the story as uh, we, we move on toward the, the death of Christ. We are uh, glad that you are here in worship, and as we come together, I know there are lots of things in our minds and hearts, uh, burdens, concerns, things that are directly connected to us and things that are in the world that may feel disconnected, but uh, we, we want to give each of these to the Lord, and the great thing is we know He hears us and He's at work. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. Please stand for a reading from the Gospel. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, 
Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the sixth in preparation, about the sixth hour. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. At this time, we'd like to invite our ushers forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings.
to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. As we take a few moments to pray together, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you pray, please come and join me. Father, we are in awe of what you've done for us through Christ the cross. We are unworthy of all of your gifts and all of your blessings. We come today in thanksgiving and gratitude. We also come today with burdens in our lives and and in this moment of silence hear our prayers Father, we pray for people who feel an overwhelming sense of loss, who live with a daily sense of dread, who feel overwhelmed by life and see no way out of it. Help them to know an acute awareness of you with them every moment. We pray for those who are dealing with injury and disease, surgery and treatments, all the other kinds of difficulties that come to our human imperfect bodies. Pour out your healing grace. We pray for everyone who is struggling with disappointment, unfulfilled dreams, uncertainty about the future, all the elements of life that cause us to worry, fear, doubt. Reveal your goodness to us. We pray for everyone who is feeling heartbroken by a relationship that has gone sour and maybe has escalated to bitterness and hatred. Fill our hearts with Christ's spirit of forgiveness, patience, of mercy and truth and hope and love. We continue to pray for the burdens of our world, for people who live with no idea where their next meal will come from or where they will find clean drinking water. People who are displaced from their homes and live in grave danger. People who live in fear and uncertainty because of violence and war. 
and for leaders of government who are attempting to rule with justice and righteousness, but find it so difficult. Bring your spirit to bear in grace and mercy, in hope, in love, and in life. Father, we pray that you will pour out your grace on us, that we might be channels of grace in this world of great need. Help us to be people who embrace the cross and who live for you every moment of every day. We pray this, Father, with trusting hearts, with lives dedicated to you, living in your spirit. We pray it through Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. stand and sing with us. More than just another song, more than one more melody, maybe what we need is silence. Maybe what we need is to be still and listen for the still small voice. Cause we don't want to miss a whisper. Jesus, now we
servants are listening. As we continue in worship, speak into our lives, into our hearts, and help us to hear, truly hear, We ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. One of the difficult issues that the church has always faced is how, how do we interact with the powers of government and the powers of the world? God's people have a roller coaster record of answering those quest, that question and, and, and dealing with that question. There have been times where it seems as though We've done exactly what God wants in other times where the church has, quite frankly, embarrassed itself. And, and you and I are continually struggling in one way or another, and the church is continually struggling to figure out how we live as Christians in a world where the powers that be are, for the most part, not Christian. What does it mean to be the church in a world that has completely different priorities and and completely different ideas about what it means to exist successfully in this world? 
God's people have continually run up against this struggle. And in the passage we've read this morning, we see it on display once again. The religious leaders of first century Palestine have arrested Jesus. They have interrogated him. They bring him to Pilate because they want to execute him, but they don't have the power to do so. Only the Roman government has that power. And Pilate's the Roman governor. And it rests in his hands. And they spend their time this early morning trying to convince Pilate that Jesus deserves execution. Pilate takes him into the palace, interviews him, can't find any reason to execute him. He comes back out and he says, what do you want me to do? He hasn't done anything worthy of of death. And they keep shouting, crucify, crucify. And Pilate is intimidated by them. And so to appease them, he takes Jesus back in. And he has Jesus beaten by the soldiers and the crown of thorns jammed on his head. And when Pilate brings him out the next time, as chapter 19 unfolds, Jesus is bruised and bloodied. And he says, okay, I still haven't found anything wrong with him, but is this enough? And their reaction is, crucify him, crucify him. He deserves to die. And they're going to do everything in their power to convince the state to put him to death. And Pilate's response to them is, you want me to crucify your king? And the religious leaders respond with one of the most incredible statements in all of Scripture. The people whose, whose very job, existence, is to formulate and, and to, to lead the religious life of Israel. To represent God to the people and the people to God. These religious leaders respond to Pilate by declaring, We have no king but Caesar. What? Wow. How in the world do do you spend your life in, in religious leadership and come to the point of saying, we have no king but Caesar? The rejection of God didn't begin, doesn't begin that day. It goes way back. You go back into the book of 1 Samuel. And, and we find the story of Samuel, who has been the leader of Israel. The succession of judges leading Israel, representing God to the people. is about to die and he appoints his children, his sons, to become the new leaders. And they're not exactly godly men. And the leaders of Israel come to Samuel and say, you know your sons are not going to be the best leaders we've ever had. But besides that, we've looked around, all the other nations have kings, we'd like a king too. We want a king. And Samuel is irritated. He takes that as as a personal affront to himself. And and he says to God, and he he says, you know, he's saying, praise to God. He says, what do you want me to do about this? He said, they've rejected me. And God's response is, no, 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 no. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. They have decided that they don't want me as their king anymore. They want an earthly king. 
And what we find here in John 19 is simply the culmination of that decision over the centuries of getting to the point where now they actually declare with words, we don't really want God anymore. Caesar is our king. In essence, they have... They have denied, they have rejected the whole messianic hope that they've been looking for all their lives. The the Israelite idea of the Messiah is that he will come and he will be the king. And they have now declared, we don't want God's king. We want Caesar to be our king. And you and I don't make those declarations as overtly as the religious leaders do but we are continually tempted to subtly say the same thing. It may not be we have no king but Caesar. It might be we have no king but money. We have no king but power. We have no king but success. We have no king but being right. We have no king but independence. Pick whatever you want. We are, cont- we are in a continual battle for the kingship of our lives. And everything in this world is a temptation to put in the place of God as our king. And you and I every day are tempted. The church is tempted to say we have no king but. But what's really driving the religious leaders here is not so much that they want Caesar to be their king as it is a a desire, a yearning, a, a willingness to use the state to accomplish their purposes. They want Jesus executed. And whatever they have to do to make that happen, they will do it, including making deals with pagan rulers. Make, declaring their allegiance above God to a pagan emperor. They are willing to sell out everything in order to get what they want. And the great temptation of the church is to do the same thing. And through the centuries, we have seen the church do that over and over again. We sell out in order to get what we want. In order to get the power we want. In order to get the wealth we want. And sometimes we do it describing it in the best of intentions. It's about the greater mission of the church. And we're we're only selling out to the state because it will help us accomplish the greater mission of the church. We don't understand the mission of the church if we have to sell out to the state in order to accomplish it. It just doesn't work like that. 
underlying this statement and underlying the temptation that we are continually faced with is believing somehow that that power, earthly power, is what moves this world. You want to get things accomplished, then you got to have power in this world. If you want to see things happen, you got to have power in this world. If you want to see the church move forward, you have to have power in this world. If we're going to do anything productive for the kingdom of God in this world, then we have to have power in this world. That's how you get things done. We just came through a whole you know, political uh, season for the presidential election and the other elections that were part of that. How many times did we hear, if we just get this person elected, then that'll change everything? Or if we, if we make sure that person doesn't get elected, that will change everything. And underlying that idea is this sense that if we can just get the political picture right, then we'll get the church right. If we just get the political picture right, then people will see the church the way it's supposed to be. And we have tied ourselves to the whole idea of the political process and to power. Because we, have, we believe if we get the right people in power, they will enact the right laws that will allow the church to operate the way the church should operate. And we get the right people in power, they can enact the right laws to prevent people from doing what the church believes they shouldn't do. When that's our mindset, we will make deals that we could have never imagined ever making. Now, let me say this. It is a good thing for us to want godly, moral people to be elected to leadership in our government. That is a worthwhile thing. And it's certainly better to have godly moral people in leadership than ungodly evil people in leadership. If you don't believe that, then we need to have a whole other discussion. It is good that we have Christians who are serving in government. It's good that we have moral people who are making good decisions for us as a nation and a state and local government. But at some point... We have to resist the temptation to think that that's going to solve our problems. That that's going to allow the church to be the church. That if we want to move the world, it's really through the political process. It's through the power process. Because it's just not the way it is. Because when we look at this story of Jesus, the very next section is not Jesus rising up in power and saying, look, Caesar is not king. I'm the king and I'm going to show everybody that. The next act of Jesus is the cross. And the cross is calling us not to trust in the power of this world, but to trust in God. To trust in God who often works through the powers of this world, But our trust is not in the world. It's not in the powers of the world. It is in God. 
And when we live in this world, when we see everyone around us using power to get what they want and to accomplish their purposes, it is so hard not to buy into that too. You might remember the song. I don't really know the song, but I just remember the title and through my head and I listened to it this week. I would not recommend this song for you to listen to or to download on your iPhone. I don't even remember when it came out, maybe the 80s. But the title of the song was, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. And I suspect that there is something underneath the surface of how we think that if loving power is wrong, I don't want to be right. If loving the stuff of this world is wrong, I don't want to be right. It's the human nature. It's our struggle. And the cross calls us to think about the world differently. It's what sets us apart. And again, let me reiterate, it's not that government is evil. It's just not the answer to the church. Because eventually these human institutions are going to fail. Only God, only trusting in God, only God as our king is going to help the church be the church. I think what concerns me the most about what I see in our church, in the interaction of the church and, and state and powers is that more often than not, at least it seems to me, that what we're fighting for is what I would call Christian entitlement. Most of the things that we're thinking about, most of the things that we're fighting about are kind of self-serving. It's about making our lives easier, more comfortable. Now, let me say this. I'm all for my life being easier and more comfortable. I want that. And I suspect you do as well. So it's very natural that that's going to be what we do. But that's what everybody else is doing. And somewhere along the line, again, we've bought into the sense that, that the, the government, the state, is about making our lives easier as Christians. Now, we're happy when that happens, and we are grateful for the freedoms that we have in this country and, and the protection of those But ultimately, one of the differences between being a Christian in this world and not being a Christian is that we stop fighting for our rights in a self-serving way. And if we're going to be connected to government, if we're going to fight for rights, the cross calls us to fight for the rights of others more than our own. It's about being a voice for people who don't have a voice It's about standing up for people who are most vulnerable in our society. It's about being a presence for people who have no presence, no voice, and no way to access the powers of this world. But unfortunately, too often, the things that we're most concerned about, if we boil them down, are really about Entitlements for us. 
And the cross is calling us to deeper things, to different things. When we look at the cross, when we contemplate the cross in the nature of how we relate to the powers of the world, we don't see Jesus standing up and saying, look at my power. We see Jesus bowing in weakness and humility and self-sacrifice. I know it goes against the grain of everything that we think. It goes against the grain of who we are as human beings. But that's the whole point. It's counterintuitive to our human nature. It's countercultural to what everyone else does. Everyone else is about what's most effective. The church is about what is being faithful. It's about taking up our cross and following Jesus. As God says through the prophet, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Great pastor and theologian A.W. Tozer said, it's probably 50 years ago he wrote this, that we live in a very perilous spiritual time. It's a time when When everyone is happy that Christ has done all of the sorrowing, all the suffering, and all the dying. And we don't have to. Earlier this week, Cindy and I were driving to Buffalo and on the way we passed a church that had one of those signs out front where they put little pithy sayings on them. And as we drove by, I, of course, I was driving, and, and I, I said to Cindy, write this down. It just grabbed me. And it said this, it will cost you nothing to believe and everything not to. It will cost you nothing to believe and everything not to. Now, I, I know what they meant. But quite frankly, when I saw that, my thought was not just, that's wrong. That's heresy. It will cost you nothing to believe? Really? Where do we find that? I I think probably uh, only in a place like America where we have so much freedom would that thought even cross our minds. When so many of our brothers and sisters around the world couldn't fathom that because it cost them everything to believe. Because that's the way of Christ. And it may cost us different things, but if we're a follower of Jesus, it means taking up our cross and following him. It means giving up our rights just as Jesus does. It means being willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. And this is the call of us as Christians and of the church. And every time the church has gone awry, it's because we've forgotten that. And we've decided that the way to success in this world is power. 
The way to get things done in this world is power. The way to accomplish the things that we want in this world is power. And what we don't realize is that we are subtly declaring exactly what the religious leaders thousands of years ago declare. Incredible as it may be, we have no king but Caesar. Craig Boyd writes this. There's no greater power on the planet. There's no greater power on the planet than self-sacrificial love. There is no greater power on the planet than self-sacrificial love. For when God wants to flex his omnipotent muscle, it doesn't look like Rambo. It doesn't look like Terminator. It doesn't look like the halls of power. It looks like a cross. And Jesus says, If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be my church, take up your cross, follow me. In the kingdom of God, that's how things are done. Heavenly Father, this is such a struggle for us. so goes against the grain of how we think. And honestly, what we'd like for life to be. Forgive us. Forgive us. And open our eyes, open our hearts, our minds, every part of our being to be the church that embraces the cross to be people who embrace the cross We ask this through Christ. Who dies on the cross. Amen.
please stand as we sing together. Take all I am, Lord, and all that I cling to. Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.